Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hi, hello, Finsider Radio, Thursday night. It's been a while, but we're back. I'm your host, Keith. Uh, we'll be on the air for roughly the next hour or so. I don't think we're going to do the usual time tonight, but we might run a little bit over. You never know. Uh, just get right to it. Uh, as usual, my faithful co-host, Duke, how are you tonight? Doing well. Good. I'm always glad to hear that. And we have a special guest, so Lewis, who hasn't had his own show in a while, so uh, he's happy to be with us tonight so we can go ahead and talk about the off-season and speculate about a bunch of things that probably won't happen. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. Uh, I think this is the first show we've had since the night before the draft. Is that right? That's right. It's been a while. It's been too long. So much has happened since then. Uh, I assume we don't need to talk about all of our our draft picks we we added uh, roughly two months ago. It's been pretty exciting, though. I think that this offseason took on a whole different tone as soon as we brought in the, the wealth of talent we acquired via the draft. Um, just, I mean, just looking at it, I mean, you go into the season, and I understand that people are, are concerned about Devontae Parker's foot. Uh, I'm not too worried about it just because, I mean, you, you saw flashes of what that guy's going to give you this season. Now, uh, <clears throat> it'd be nice to have him in camp, but I'm okay with waiting until the preseason if that means uh, getting him healthy and if he's able to play a full uh, 16 games coming up here this fall. So not really a problem, but I have to say what I saw from that guy in training camp just absolutely validated everything we 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 talked about uh, in the weeks leading up to the draft that we thought we were going to get if we drafted him. I mean, it's all there. I mean, the guy's incredible. It's just a lot to be excited about. And I, the one thing that sticks out that came out in news today is uh, Cole Misi going all master the obvious on us, saying that uh, he's going to have a lot more room to work now with uh, Indomitian Stu playing in front of him. Quite possibly the biggest understatement I've heard in a while, just because, I mean, that guy's going to have his own zip code back there. And, I mean, you don't have to worry about having a hat on a hat with that guy. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be able to to play clean uh, most downs just because of the incredible wealth of talent in front of him, mainly with Indomitian Sue. So, what are your guys' impressions on the, on this off season thus far as we're uh, winding into July coming up here? As far as I'm concerned, this has been the best off season the Dolphins have ever had. I mean, just you look at the draft picks that they've put together, you look at the moves they've made and possibly potential moves that they may be making in the future. <laughs> and um, if you you, you gotta you just gotta analyze this whole thing and think, I don't can't remember the last time that the Dolphins have had an off season this incredible. They got rid of a lot of dead weight like Mike Wallace, and they got rid of Danielle Ellerby, Philip Wheeler, all those terrible players that we had wanted no part of because they just they either were no good or they caused problems in the in the team. And they got they in return they got a lot of players who actually fit 
what it is that the Dolphins are trying to accomplish, you kind of start to see the um, the semblance of an identity. You start to see exactly what it is that the Dolphins are wanting to have their strength in. You see them putting all this effort into the defensive line, signing Indomitian Sue, drafting Jordan Phillips, signing C.J. Mosley just recently. You see what it is that they're trying to do. They want to have what is considered the best defensive line of football. You also see them bringing in wide receivers like Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, um, Greg Jennings, who, ironically enough, is a tr- pretty much a trade for Wallace, but whatever. Um, you see what it is that they do. They run clean routes. They have good catch radius. They they have run the heavy yards after the catch ability. All of those guys fit exactly what it is that Ryan Tannehill is good at, and they also help him with things that he's not good at because they have the ability to do other things. So you see now the identity that the Dolphins are trying to put together. They want to be a hard-hitting defensive line team with wide receivers who can – who well, pretty much they're going to be playing a Tom Brady-esque offense. They're going to be throwing short passes, medium passes down the scene with Jordan Cameron. They're going to be they're not going to be going deep all the time. They're just going to be catching you with where's the ball going to go and then once the receiver does catch the football, it's going to be a matter of can you tackle this guy before he runs 10 more yards. So you see the identity starting to form and you start to think that this is probably the best offseason the Dolphins have had in forever. I'm liking the way Tannehill's throwing the deep ball this offseason, though. And like just from, from what I've seen, I don't know if it's just more more of a of a comfort level that he's reached, or the fact that he doesn't have Mike Wallace in there uh, to loom over him every time they don't connect. I don't get it, but I, I love the way that that Tannehill's looked thus far. I know that he's under a different micro, microscope now in light of the, the uh, extension he reached with the team. But I, I'm pleased. I think that this is going to be a really, really good season for him. Uh, I mean, he looks, he, he looks poised to do some really special things this season. And I'm excited to watch it. Duke, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's the biggest um, biggest aspect of the offseason is putting putting the ball in Tannehill's court. They signed him to an extension. They got rid of some of the older receivers. They brought in younger receivers. Guys, he's he's kind of he's older than now, the exception of Rick Jennings. But he's got um, he's got uh, he's got all pieces in place now. Probably the only real misstep was not re-signing Clay and for, could have had him probably for you know right around what they were asking for. And I can understand why they wouldn't go over, but. Other than that, I think they've done well. I mean, we've we've talked about Indomitian and Sue and, and the defense for a while, and um, you know, we, and then you know, I talk about Parker and just what he brings to the to the offense. But the thing that's just been the most exciting is what everyone's saying from, from the mini camps and OTAs is that Ryan's looking sharp, and to me, that means he's he's being quick with his decisions, making the right decisions, and he's being very accurate with the ball. Um, you, you don't hear much of this. Well, so-and-so made a great catch, but the ball was behind. Well, it was poorly thrown. It was a great play. Now you're hearing Tannehill's throwing the ball well everywhere. Um, it, it's almost to the point now to where the the media reporting on this are reporting on other stuff because it's becoming commonplace. It's like, oh, Tannehill throws a touchdown. Ooh, big deal. Oh, here's, you know, that 
Bethel Johnson or whatever his name, Bethel Thompson, he's throwing a touchdown. That's more important or more exciting than Tannehill doing it because they're just getting used to it. I think he threw, what, seven touchdowns in the final day of uh, minicamp. I think it was yesterday. So, um, yeah, it's just, that, that's just good to hear. And so uh, adding all those pieces around him and his development, um, you know, gives us a lot to look forward to. I mean, of course, pads haven't gone on yet, and, and we'll wait and see in training camp. But uh, that that's the exciting part is you, you, you get all these pieces around him, and it looks good on paper. And then when it actually gets out there on the field, it, it actually works. Uh, you know, we said that two years ago, oh, that Mike Wallace, we've got speed. It looks good on paper, and it never worked out. It looks like this is working out. So that's that's exciting. Well, I'm not yeah, going to make any final it. judgment. Yeah, I'm not going to make any final judgments, like you said, Duke, until training camp starts. Um, until the offensive line starts getting hit and Indominus Sue starts really getting to dominate the defensive line, whatever they're doing in OTAs and whatever they did in minicamp, that doesn't mean anything to me right now. I want to see what Tannehill does when the pads come on and suddenly his offensive line is probably going to be falling behind all over again because Albert's not there at left tackle and uh, barring a signing of Evan Mathis, the offensive line is once again going to be in flux because right now it's Jason Fox in the left side with Dallas Thomas. I mean, once again, we've ignored possibly the most potential part. I think that you mentioned that uh, not signing Clay was a misstep. I don't think it was because we brought in Jordan Cameron and I still like Deion Sims a whole lot. And I know I was heartbroken over the whole losing Clay thing, but that's just because I was having a, delusions of grandeur again with the whole one-two punch like a Gronk Hernandez in New England. But um, I think for me, the one misstep that the Dolphins really did was once again, not addressing the offensive line beyond drafting Jamil Douglas. I mean, that, that was not a very smart move to me. And I don't like the idea of bringing in people like JD Walton and uh, Jeff Lincolnbach, who honestly, they did not, they did not get back on the teams because they weren't all that good to begin with. So if we're talking about there being a competition on the offensive line, but the competition is all between people who are not even good enough to unseat Dallas Thomas, then I have a serious problem with that. And I'm seriously wondering if um, the offensive line is going to wind up falling apart all over again. We need somebody we know we can count on right away. And while Albert is that guy, he's not healthy. So that's a problem for me. And right now the only for sure things we have are Jawan James and Mike Pouncey, and that I have an issue with. I should probably mention that uh, we can take a couple of calls tonight, so if you want to go ahead and give us a, a call here, it's 347-326-9461. I think we've got time to take, uh, I mean, a couple of calls tonight, two or three max, but uh, getting back to the offensive line, who do you think ends up the starter at left tackle going into the or left tackle at uh, left guard going into the season. I'm going with Jamil Douglas. Um, I I read something a couple of years ago that uh, earlier this offseason I think it said basically converted left tackles usually end up being better guards in the NFL. Uh, you know Dallas Thomas did play some left tackle, but he ended up pretty much being a guard. I think Douglas is the guy who who takes that over. Um, he's got the athleticism that they look for. Um, a lot of people already when they drafted him said his tape wasn't as good from his senior year, but he was playing left tackle. His junior year tape was much better because he was left guard. I think he's a 
I think he's a guy that is going to uh, he's going to take that spot. And when you add in Albert and Pouncey back to center, I think he'll be okay. Of course, you know I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Billy Turner, and I think he's going to hold down the right guard spot. Uh, I'm not worried about him um, at all. He's he's uh, too too smart and too driven and too talented to uh, to mess that up. So I think he'll be fine. So that's, yeah, I'm going that's to another reason. reason. Go ahead. Okay, I'm, I'm going to Jamil Douglas as the left guard. Okay, well, that's another reason why I say that we need to make sure that the pads are on because you right now we see all these reports coming out that, oh, so-and-so has been moved to here and so-and-so has been moved to there because they're experimenting with where they like this person where. And th- th- since there's no pads and there's no hitting, Billy Turner's biggest asset is being taken out of the equation. The simple fact is that Billy Turner is not a very clean football player. He's not, he doesn't have the best technique. He doesn't have the best footwork. Where he makes up for that is in his absolute brute strength. He's a mauler. He's going to beat the guy he's balking down. That's what he does. He's not going to beat him down with technique, and he's not going to beat him down with hands. He is a brute force that needs to have, be able to hit somebody in order to show that he is a superior athlete. So seeing that Lincolnbach is getting first-team snaps over Turner does not bother me, neither does seeing things about anything else, like Indominus Sue beating down Dallas Thomas or Mike Pouncey. I mean, that, first of all, it's Indominus Sue, and that's to be expected. Who doesn't Indominus Sue beat down? That's the whole point. And, um, again, there's no hitting, so I can't make any kind of judgments on that. The same thing about, like, a running back, Jay Ajaye. There's no hitting. So you can't tell what he's going to be able to do. People are criticizing the fact that he dances too much. Well, has, has hitting started yet? I don't. I need to see what it looks like when the pads come on before I make any kind of judgments on something like that. Now, to answer the question of who's going to be starting at left guard, if the roster stays as is, then I'm also going to go with Jamil Douglas. I don't expect Dallas Thomas to be able to keep his job because, I mean, he hasn't been able to keep his job for the, all three years that he's been here now. So um, I'm not expecting anything different from him. And if if the signing that I'm praying for with all my heart happens, then there is no contest. It's Evan Mathis. Dale Thomas, there's always work with uh, the Sun Sentinel if uh, his, <clears throat> his spot with the Dolphins doesn't pan out. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, or I'm not. Uh, you're I'm less worried about the offensive line because, well, I'm less worried about the offensive line with Brandon Albert. I think that's probably, in my opinion, the greatest position of need for the Dolphins. That's the linchpin. Kind of looking ahead at this point. Because, I mean, there's really nothing behind Albert. I mean, you've got some potential at guard, and that could become a kind of a a bigger need, but we've got some guys to feel it. It's just kind of unknowns. I mean, most people are kind of down on Dallas Thomas because you've got Jamel Douglas. But if Albert's not healthy, I mean, you know, they're kind of they're kind of stuck. I mean, I guess you know you could always hire you know Donald Clark back and, and bring back Jake Long for a few games uh, unless he signs somewhere. I don't know. I haven't paid that much attention to it. But um, yeah, I, I'm more concerned with with him and. One thing that you've not been reading, or at least from what 
the media has presented of, of OTAs and mini camps. We've just had a couple of moments. I think the first day was like the worst day. They kept talking about how Sue was just beating these guys' heads in and all this stuff. And then it was kind of quiet. You hear one or two tweets, oh, well, the offensive line got beat. Most of the time they were pretty quiet. So, yeah, there's no pads, but to me that says they were actually doing their job. Um, you know, it, it'll, it'll all be different when, when the pads come on, of course, but, you know, at least, at least it was, there is some promise there that these guys were in the lineup and you weren't reading report after report of just how bad they, it was quiet. So, you know, that's always a promising sign. Well, I can't make any decisions still hitting. Well, <clears throat> going into this whole situation, it's funny that in instead of years past where we've had multiple positions of concern, it's interesting that this year we have one big position of concern, and I mean, we don't really know. I think that's what a lot of people are struggling with right now is they don't know what they're going to get at that left guard position. I mean, are you going to get your Jameel Douglas? Does the team sleepwalk with Dallas Thomas over there at that spot, or you know, do they do they sign Evan Mathis? So I, I know that the, the whole unknown aspect of it is driving people nuts, and I get that, especially when you have the now. I mean, you got a big money quarterback right there, poised to have a really like. I mean, I don't know if I want to call it a, a breakout year because I think that last year was a breakout year for him, but to really. Uh, continue and expand on the success he had last year. I think you're going to see that, and it would be a shame to see that success get at all by any shortcomings they have on the left side of the offensive line. So uh, we'll, we'll monitor that. I mean, there's still a long way to go in terms of figuring out where the personnel is going to go at that spot and along the offensive line. Oh, just looking through... Uh, some of the notes that I have right now. Uh, does anyone watch the NFL Network top 100 players of whatever year? So I know I know it's a lot of. I wanted to. Whenever. I wanted to, but I, I never got around to it. Did, I was really you busy. Just, you just couldn't bring yourself to do it. No, this is that I had a lot of stuff to do, but I did. I did manage to see the segments earlier today for uh, the two people we're thinking about. A lot of stuff to do. They they invented DVR for people like you. You know, have stuff to do. DVR it. Watch it later. It'll be on. I <laughs> uh, I was I thought it was funny last night. Uh, yeah, last night today's Thursday. It's Wednesday. That Brent Grimes, Cameron Wake, right next to each other on the list. And I also thought it was intriguing that both guys, especially Grimes, made a huge leap from last year's ranking. And I know that there's a ton of inconsistencies because I think that doesn't this ranking consist of the players? Yes, player votes. I know know that that was the selling point at one point. Like, who do the players think is the best? And then it was like a different person every year. So, uh, but, so Grimes comes in at 38. Wakes right behind him at 39. And I thought that both their segments were really uh, really nicely done. I thought they were cool. I enjoyed watching both of them. I think I enjoyed the Wake one a little more because Grimes, while that uh, that interception he made against he made against Detroit last year was incredible. It would have been nice for them to talk a little bit more about his his career, uh, where he's at, what he's doing, not just one play. Whereas with Wake, they really talked about 
what it is that makes him so special. And, of course, you ask most people, they'll say it's that first step that he has. I think most of the people who who go against him on Sundays would say the same thing. I think what it is is that with Grimes, it's like that one play has come to define who he is because – I mean, as much as as much as we don't like Nico for talking all the time, she does have one valid point, and it's that the NFL and all of its on all the fans and all the, and a lot of the players and teams, they don't give Brent the respect that we we know that he commands as a football player. He's not he's not big. He's not particularly fast. He's not particularly anything other than maybe athletic and determined to be great. And he's pretty much made his career off of that. He's very, very, very quietly been been one of the elite corners in the league for quite some time. And it's just now that that play against Detroit is what has alerted the world that, hey, Brent Grimes is a really good corner. Let's give him some respect. So last year he was 95 on the list, and he was just, and that was possibly his best year overall in his. I don't know. I would. I don't know. I can't. I don't know if I can say it's his career because he, that was only like his first year in Miami. And that's the only time I've ever heard of him up until that point. But you see that now he's getting that respect because of what he did on that play, and exact. And not only that, who he did that play against. If it was somebody like Golden Tate or some little slot receiver who was going up there, he, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. But he stole a touchdown from Calvin Megatron Johnson. The whole clip was pretty much Johnson shaking his head in disbelief and wondering what the crap just happened. So that defining moment, and that's pretty much all they had to go on for the whole clip because they they didn't know who Brent Grimes was up until that play. Well, the Johnson element definitely puts it over the top, but I think it's a pretty special play regardless of the receiver back there waiting for the ball. Because I mean, you yeah, it is. How he I, I, it is, but it's how, like, how it's, he's how he's trailing his man, and then out of just really, without even really preparing himself at all, just just leaps out of nowhere to grab that thing. And I think one of the comments they made last night is it looks like he jumps higher than he is tall on that play. I mean, it's a monstrous vertical leap on there. It's an incredible display of of jumping ability. Right, but it's the but I'm, again, yeah, like you said, the Johnson thing puts it over the top. It, they make it special because this is Megatron. He just robbed the people that the the guy that the media likes to talk about as the best wide receiver in football. That guy. So if it had been somebody else, yeah, would have they would have said, "Wow, what a catch!" But it would never have even been in the conversation for best catch overall if it hadn't been for the fact that. It was stolen from Megatron. I think that's just my opinion. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that, but I mean, teach his own. Uh, it just would have been nice if uh, if they had focused a little bit on what Brent has done, even with his time in Miami, coming back from that Achilles injury, to to do what he's done. Because I mean, you said it yourself. I mean, he's been quietly one of the best corners in the league. I mean, he's just. I mean, you can you can only really think of a few games where watching play and thought, yeah, he's probably struggling a little bit with his assignment. But, I mean, for a guy who isn't, uh, who doesn't possess freak speed at a position where the faster the better, and he doesn't have the the physicality a lot of teams are looking for now. I mean, that seems like Seattle have really made 
made famous with these enormous uh, perimeter defenders. I mean, all, I mean, Brent Grimes just continues to endure. I mean, he's just an awesome player to watch. I mean, he's a great guy to have on your team too. So, I mean, that's one of the best signings I think the Dolphins have have had in recent recent time was nabbing that guy. And I, you have to think like, I know that Atlanta had their own thing going, but and Achilles injury is a, a scary thing, but. I mean, I don't know if I would have walked away from that guy. So, I mean, we we reap the uh, the benefits of that decision, so and we're better off for it. So, that's the only thing I would have liked to have seen more of that. On that yeah, we're better off as a football but, team, not a fan base. Well, who cares? Who cares about the fan base? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I I mean, I don't mean to say that in uh, such a brazen way, but I mean, let's be honest. This fan base spends half. You know, it can't decide whether – or they, they look at Ryan Tannehill and they marvel at some of the accuracy he displays, and then they turn around and they can't decide whether or not he sucks. So, I mean, it's just – it's it's confusing. I feel like uh, there's a lot of social media that, that affects the whole – for some Dolphins fans, and I'm not talking about all of them. Because, I mean, like, I find that you have, like, you have the hardened – Dolphins fans, the guys who have been watching the team since the late 60s, early 70s. And, I mean, I know there's a couple of them who visit this site and they're on there often, and it's it's a lot of fun to talk to these guys. And, I mean, even James. James has all these stories about when he used to go watch the team play at the Orange Bowl in the mid-'80s. So, I mean, it's awesome to hear that kind of stuff, but, I mean, I don't know. I mean, is it is it an indictment of Dolphins fans or – quote-unquote, the entitlement generation that's out there right now? And I mean, that's a serious question. I'm going to say both. We as Dolphins fans are used to, well, you I don't know, I, don't, I wasn't around for 1972 in the Dan Marino years, like when he was in his prime. So I will say Dolphins fans in general, the ones who really remember the glory days, they feel that it's been way too long since they've had a Bob Greasy or a Dan Marino, and they're pretty much desperate for it because they see a dude in their own division now for another team who's kicking their cans pretty much every time they meet because, like it or not, Tom Brady is an elite quarterback. I don't think he does anything particularly special. He just really knows how to carve a defense. He knows where to go with it. But you see that, we have well, I don't this know about that. Great. Throwing, throwing a uh, throwing a deflated football is not easy, especially in that <laughs> South Florida. Yeah, yeah. Not travel well. Yeah, I'm well, sure. maybe that's why. Maybe it does. Maybe it does travel well. You're not really selling a lot of a lot of the material tonight. You're killing me uh, on this one. I have to say, but I, I'm amused uh, nonetheless. Uh, I, I, so I would agree, though. I think that really to further what you're saying with the with this whole mindset that I think a lot of Dolphins fans have right now, it's that you look at, at this quarterback and he, he's coming in to uh, this really important year for him. He's got a contract extension now, I mean, which by and large cements him as the guy in Miami. I think that scares a lot of people. I think people are worried, like, it's almost like you're locked in, like you're I, I don't want to use the term married to him because that's a very famous term for a, a certain South Florida sports writer, but 
I mean, in a lot of ways, that that is the case. I mean, now you're you are tied to this guy uh, long term or potentially. Well, long-term. I believe I believe the structuring of the contract pretty much means that we're technically engaged for another two years. We can like it's, yeah, it's but, like but people look at that. It's like a, it's like the Kaepernick that, deal. We can escape. I don't. Well, I think that. But yeah, that's lost on a lot of people. I think though. I think that's the fact that you just have that contract in there. I think they see that and they think like, oh, now, well, this is the guy. Is it too late to run away from him? Because the one thing you saw off and on with him is every time that he struggled, you saw people saying like, well, let's go back to the draft. Let's bring this guy in. I mean, you still see that. You have people who are uh, pining for Marcus Mariota this year, and that's coming off of us uh, outside of playoffs, a very successful year for Ryan Tannehill. I think with that new extension in there, it kind of takes away from it. Now all of a sudden that whole thing, well, let's go back to the draft, let's start over, it's not not as good a feeling. It feels far away. It's it's further away in degree. So I don't know. I, I, I'm confused. I don't live in South Florida. I understand the sports climate fine. I spent a lot of time down there as a kid. So, I mean, I get the whole nature of it. And uh, so I understand that. I mean, people are going to show up if you win. People are going to people are going to like you if you win. And the only way that people are going to get off Ryan Tannehill's back is if he gets his team to the playoffs and beyond, not just the end of the playoffs, winning playoff games, beating the Patriots uh, when it counts, beating the other teams in the division when it counts. They're getting better too, for the most part. Do you hear awfully quiet over there? Well, I've been feeling a uh, time. I think uh, um, what's that? Uh, before we go, uh, you were talking about you know the um, kind of the entitlement generation, and I think part of what's going on is I see this a lot with with some fans is that you get this grass is greener on the other side mentality, and you watch. There's always some better receiver on some other team or some better player on some other team, and it's hard to sometimes appreciate what's right in front of you because, well, you know, they're not this particular person. And, you know, and then when you add in some of the kind of the media that's, that's kind of driving some of these, these stories, and, you know, there's just a lot of things. I mean, people don't realize. I mean, they say, oh, Ryan Tannehill couldn't, couldn't beat Peyton Manning. Well, Ryan Tannehill went into Denver, put up 36 points. No team got within 20, I think 24 points in Denver. I mean, he just lit them up. But it's not his fault that defense couldn't stop the run. I mean, there's just so much, there's so much stuff going on. And, yeah, I don't know. And, and then part of it, too, is that there's this this instant gratification part of it. Um, I mean, part I, of I, what I don't understand is, if let's say Miami had drafted a cornerback this year, everyone's worried about the cornerback position. How how quickly would they have turned on a rookie cornerback when he was out of position and gave up a long touchdown play to a savvy veteran receiver that knows how to set up a rookie corner? Oh, he, he got beat. He's bad. Well, no, because he's a rookie. That happens. I just think there's this. I think there's this mentality of like. Well, Let's get rid of Tannehill and bring in this rookie quarterback because he's going to be the next greatest thing until he throws an interception 
or loses a game to the Jets, and then we're like, oh, he sucks, we need to get somebody else. It's like they expect us to draft the current version of Aaron Rodgers, you know, when we draft, and that's just never going to happen. And I've done some, you know, I've looked into it, I've read a post about it, I've done some, ran some numbers. Um, it's, you look at all the quarterbacks drafted in the last 10 or so drafts, last 10 or so drafts, and you, you might have, I think it's been like 150 or so quarterbacks drafted. You have like currently out of that, out of those 10 drafts, maybe about 10 to 12 potential franchise quarterbacks. That's it. I mean, out of all, out of that number, you have like a very small percentage that can become as good as Tannehill is right now. I I just don't think fans seem to realize that you just can't get rid of something and expect to have it replaced immediately with an unknown with an unknown quantity. It's just not going to happen. So this idea, well, let's trap another quarterback to get rid of Tannehill. I understand bringing a competition, but say, well, let's, let's get rid of Tannehill and draft Marietta. Chances are Marietta is going to be not as good as Tannehill and may never be as good as Tannehill. You, you don't know that. It, it just, I don't know. I, I just don't think people appreciate some of the things that he's done and the growth he's shown because you have people whose expectations are, well, he needs to get in the playoffs and have this many wins and have a pass rating of this and that and the other. And it's just, I don't know, it just shows when some people in the media rely on that kind of stuff. It just kind of, I don't know, shows a little bit of lack of creativity, I guess, and, and not not really willing to, to look at things deeper. I agree with both of you. I think that you guys both had really awesome answers, so thanks for indulging me on a rather intellectual question. Uh, and, and, and even though we try to be intellectual about, about the sport here. So let me ask both of you right now. Uh, we'll start with Lewis. Uh, what are your predictions for the Dolphins this season in terms of record? I mean, is this the year that Brian Tannehill gets his team into the playoffs? Do they do anything in the playoffs? What do you think happens okay. in the AFC as a whole? Okay. First and foremost, Please, please, don't say is Ryan Tannehill going to lead them to the? No, no, no. That's the Omar mentality of the quarterback and the coach both have win loss record, and that's all that matters. Nothing else matters. Just makes me want to puke. That's the same crap that I, I, I hear I all the it's, time. It's well, I mean, you could you'll hear that on NFL films too. Oh, you know, I understand. Omar, I, I, he didn't. He didn't say that, but I mean, it's the thing. He's the quarterback. He's the face of the franchise. Is this the year that I let's rephrase this? That the Dolphins make the next step with their current personnel, this current group, this new Dolphins organization? Is this the year that they take the next step and get to the playoffs? Thank you for indulging me on that, and. uh Yes, yes, I believe so. But there is a proviso. I'm putting on my little disclaimer now in case somebody comes back to this later. If I say yes, if and only if, by the way, the offensive line is at least, at least serviceable. I'm not even asking for good at this point, just not god-awful. That's At this point, that's all I'm hoping for. Anything is better than what we've had for the past three years. It cannot get any worse. 
I honestly don't know how it could get worse other than there isn't there is no offensive line at all to begin with. Tannehill's is getting bum rushed with nothing but air in behind in front of him. So as as long as the offensive line is at least serviceable, average maybe if we're lucky. And that's assuming we don't sign Mathis because if Mathis gets signed, then all bets are off. We should have a good offensive line finally. If that happens, I think the Dolphins will make the playoffs, yes. I think they'll go – I'm going to go conservative here and say 10-6. and six. They're not going to win the division or anything because, you know, Patriots. But um, they with the with the addition of all the, do, the new wide receivers, the fact that the team is now built around what Tannehill is good at, and hides the weaknesses that he does have. The fact that the defense has been, uh, whether people want to admit it or not, it has been upgraded by removing Randy Starks. And and as much as I don't like to say this, Jared Audrick, he's gone. He was lots of fun to talk to, but whatever. Um, now we have Indominus Sue. We have a new veteran presence in C.J. Mosley who can take over the Starks role. And he has... And he knows how to work with Indominus Sue, and they both said the same thing about each other, that they know they have chemistry and they know how to work with each other, so that's a good thing. The linebacker core should be improved because now we know what Jelani Jenkins can do. Chris McCain can be the better version of Philip Wheeler. I mean, like you can't get much worse than Philip Wheeler, so it's got to be an improvement, right? And we're hoping for a healthy Colomisi, but if that doesn't work out, then we might have... Um, we have three chances to get it right with uh, Vigil Hull and um, what's the other guy's name? I forget already. Yes, do you know? Yeah, just look. Uh, luck, Luke, whatever. Okay, so you got three. You got those three, and that. And if they don't work out, then you still have Koamisi, who, with again, with Indomitian Sue and all that stuff up in front, he should be better. And then you have Brent Grimes, he's still there. Jones is back, and he probably, and I hope he won't be suspended for something stupid. And uh, you have Delmas back, so, and he's already back to full strength, apparently. What a miracle that turned out to be. And I really like Jamar Taylor. From uh, from what I hear from um, from people that are inside the organization, like, yeah, we talked, I talked to Troy a lot. I talked to, uh, I talked to Sam. They say that, the best thing that can be used said for a cornerback is actually that it's quiet. The reason that he says that is because if he's quiet, that means that he's doing a good job. What you don't want to see is something that says, oh, he got beat. You don't constantly have to be hearing that he did something awesome. Just as if it's quiet, that means he's doing his job. So the fact that nobody's complaining about Taylor is a good thing. So we have that secondary back, and I think this might be the year we finally get to the playoffs. If it's through a wild-card burst, then so be it. But we made it to the playoffs, and that's all that matters. The Marlins made it to two World Series and won them by going to the wild-card. I have no problem being a wild-card team. Huh. Well, Marlins, yeah. Uh, the only two times... Okay, well, it's a comparison I had to draw. That's fine. Championship runs, I'm familiar. Uh so who do you think comes out of the AFC then? Out of the AFC? <sighs> well, let's be honest. What it's basically going to boil down to, I think, uh, like I said, we'll make the playoffs. I don't think we'll go far, but we'll make the playoffs. Uh, it's probably going to wind up being New England and Denver again. 
just because Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, they always seem to make it impossible for everybody else. I don't expect Andrew Luck to get through there again because um, I, every time Andrew Luck has gone up against New England, which I think they will again, they Luck has become has gone from being supposedly the best young quarterback in the NFL to Geno Smith levels of bad. So it's probably going to be either New England or Denver again. Well, that's just mean to say Geno Smith. Do you think Geno Smith and Geno Smith? You think Geno Smith improves this year? You have a lot of people uh, talking about what's going to happen with the quarterback situation in New York. If they're smart, they'll go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. If they want to be loyal, then by all means, go with Geno again. I don't care. Yeah, I get a feeling that you're going to see Fitzpatrick in there before long. So. Whatever, he's, but he's not that great. He's better than Smith, but he's not terrific. But no, QB rating nice says top 10 quarterbacks, but so whatever. Well, whatever. Uh, do you think that this is, uh, this is the year the Dolphins make the leap? And who do you see coming out of the AFC? Uh, hang on just a moment. Huh. While we're waiting for him to come back, uh, one thing that I uh, – we can tie in with the whole – I mean, do you watch other South Florida sports or are you purely a Dolphins guy? Well, if we're going to be talking about analysis, then, yeah, I'm a pure Dolphins guy. But if we're going to talk about South Florida sports, then, yeah, I watch the Heat when when it's um, when it's on. It, it, okay, I'm not going to, like, go out of my way to know. find it. <laughs> so, like, well, why don't you just tell me? Like, tell, tell, say you want to talk about the Heat. Like, okay – so, Keith, I really like the Heat. Like, that's all you got to do. Well, no, maybe I don't want to talk about the Heat, but in this instance, I kind of do. Uh, but only because I want to tie it to something. Were you pulling for or against LeBron James in the finals? I'm going to get in trouble with a lot of people I know, but I was rooting against LeBron. I have oh, no loyalty to I... LeBron. I have no loyalty to LeBron. I am a Heat fan. I am a fan of the Miami Heat. I am not a fan of the players on the Miami Heat as individuals. I don't care. I have, I've always been a football guy. I have never been that big of a basketball guy. I am a fan of the home team. If D. Wade, if all these rumors turn out to be true and D. Wade leaves Miami, I'm not going to have loyalty to D. Wade either. I'm sorry. I'm a fan of the Heat. I don't care where D. Wade goes unless he's in Miami. D. Wade looks like he might be off to of the glue factory. He looks uh, a little bit beat up right now. I, w- I worry about his health. So I'm, I am by no means a Heat fan. I actually cannot stand that team. And I understand the majority of our listeners are Heat fans. I'm not sorry. I said it. And it's not a problem for me. But I, I was I'm curious because I saw it seemed like Twitter was split with Heat fans. Some people pulling for the Cavs. A lot of people still upset about LeBron leaving. Well, and, um, if you, you a good way to gauge it all is I just watched Spoon on Twitter. I, I'm sure you know. I'm sure a lot of people on here know who Spoon is, the infamous Spoon. So he uh, he basically points out, and I kind of have to agree with him on this point. What you felt being split was not necessarily heat Twitter. I think what you were sensing was that these are all the LeBron fans, LeBron specifically who became Cavalier fans and skipped over the heat because LeBron skipped town. 
So it, those people are what we are what our, uh, Spoon likes to call the bandwagon fans. Those are the fans who were never really a fan of the Heat to begin with. They were just a fan of the fact that LeBron was on the Heat. The people who are mad at LeBron for leaving are the true Heat fans. That's a pretty easy way to notice. I think it's pretty easy to notice because a lot of their avatars have Cavs stuff in them. So huh, I was just going to go out on a limb and assume that they're no longer uh, Miami Heat fans. So That's how it works. I mean, such is, such is the sports climate down in uh, a lot of South Florida. you got a lot of transplants. I know that it really took it took a while for them to really warm up to that team because I remember the, the Heat in the 90s when they had Glenn Rice and Harold Miner and all those guys. And I enjoyed watching them, even though they weren't very good at all. And when they did start to become good was when they were taking on the Bulls in the uh, in the playoffs every year, and they were getting rolled. And then they started their, and then they really got into their uh, their rivalry with the Knicks too, right around that time. So, I mean, I enjoyed it back then. I think that's why I still enjoy basketball. I think my only issue with the sport is that I don't really like it on ABC. I think ABC sucks when it comes to airing games. I remember in the 90s, uh, NBA and NBC triple headers every Sunday, and that was the best thing ever. The music, the coverage, everything about it was just awesome, and it's never been replicated. And I think that ABC doesn't even come within a a mile of what uh, NBC did with the the sport back in the day. So I know I'm not the only person who feels that way either. I see that, uh, that sentiment out there often. Yep. So. Is back yet? Yeah, NBA, NBA on NBC was the best. Yeah, see, we're we're all in agreement. And, I mean, that was when, I don't know, I'm not sure if a lot of people, I, I sound so old when I bring up stuff like this, but that was when, like, a, a lot of people around here were really, I mean, they were, Bull, they were Bulls fans. I, I really, I mean, I enjoyed the Bulls. I wouldn't call myself a Bulls fan. But a lot of people were into the Seattle Supersonics because on Sunday afternoons they got to watch Sean Kemp play and just dunk 40 times a game. I mean, that kind of stuff when you're 9, 10 years old is incredibly compelling to watch. So Yeah, and I, when me and my friends, we were in college, before we would go over to the gym to uh, play some pickup basketball, we'd always, we would listen to the, uh, to the theme song and uh, then go over to the gym to play. So that's how we got fired up. Yeah, the theme song composed by John Tesh. So, yeah, that that's that, that theme song is elite. Um, People, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Just, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Did, yeah, how old are you anyway? Because I feel like oftentimes we we bring stuff up and you're like, yeah, I wasn't around for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just turned 22 uh, a couple weeks ago. Oi, oi. Yeah, you guys are old. <laughs> well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I am, well, I just, I turned 31 a couple of months ago. So, I mean, I think in terms of our listeners, I might be up there. Oh, I remember yeah, that a couple of times. I'm, I'm even higher than that, so. We've had people calling to the show where I'm like, is that person even 13 years old? There's a couple of times where early on we had kids calling, and I was like, go to bed. The show is on way past time. So. All right, we've got a couple minutes left. You know, these shows are always a little bit different just because there's really, I mean, except for what's going on really uh, in camp, there's just really not a lot to talk about. So it's always kind of a strange dynamic, which is why we're talking about, you know, the Miami Heat. 
even though I'm not a Miami Heat fan. And I don't think uh, I don't think Duke's a Miami Heat fan either. So uh, I'm not really a basketball fan in general. Um, it was just weird because I've played it for most of my life. I I've even coached a little bit, but uh, you know I watched the finals and I watched some stuff, but. In, in, in North Carolina, it's the NBA is not a big deal. Um, uh, you know, I think I made a college basketball rule for the roost. Yeah, out it's, there. it's Duke and Carolina here, and I don't think you know you're talking about people being LeBron fans. I think people, a lot of people around here were, would have rooting interest in the finals, and a lot of them would be like, "Well, I'm rooting for this team because they have a Carolina player on it or a Duke player on it." And and that's how they are. Um, and even if they would say, well, this team has more Carolina players than the other, so I'll pull for that one. Uh, it, college basketball rules here. And um, I think for a while there, Michael Jordan, he kind of understood that. When he was GM of the Bobcats, won it for every call now, they, uh, he, he, was, he was bringing in all these ACC players. It's kind of like that's almost the only way he could generate interest in an NBA team here because nobody cares. I mean, if if the Hornets are on TV and they're playing LeBron James or whoever else, but Duke and Carolina are playing that night, no chance. I mean, no one's going to care um, because Duke and Carolina is going to overrule that. So, um, but I don't really have a a, a team. I, I, I liked the Hornets years ago, back in the head, Zoe uh, uh, and Grandmama, and uh, and then they moved to New Orleans and. You know, of course, I always watch the Bulls. And, you know, it was just great back in the day because you got to watch these players every Sunday. You know, it would be like the Knicks and the Bulls or the Suns and the Bulls. And you had Dan Marley and Kevin Johnson. Yeah, under Dan. Yeah, and also, you know, I remember all those games, so that was good times. But uh, I'll, I'll go back to what you asked me originally as far as the my, my take on what the Dolphins do this year. I think um, the table is set for them. I think this Patriots team, their secondary is a lot weaker. Um, you know, they're babies a year older. They're, you know, whatever happens with that suspension, they may miss him a couple games, four games, whatever. The other team in the AFC East got better, but they lacked a, a quality quarterback. And so, it's, and it's not like Miami's a slash team either, so... You've got these tough teams, and the Patriots, of course, are, are still going to be in the lead because they have Belichick and because they have Brady. But I, I, I see this as a weaker team, you know, at least as far as the back end. Um, offensively, they're going to be who they are. But, I, I mean, I think they put the pieces in place. I think Tannehill has grown up enough that, you know, it – if assuming everyone stays healthy and all that stuff, I think this is the year they can make that run and possibly take the crown away in the AFC East. You know, not saying that if they don't do it this year, they can't, but this is, if they don't do it this year, this should be the start of that run, the beginning of that. Um, you know, if it's 8 and 8, 9 and 7 again, it's going to be tough. But, you know, looking at the opponents they play, Looking at their schedule, I mean, it's, it's there for the taking, and I think they need to take it. And I, th- I think they're going to a lot of stuff that I'm reading. And, of course, they say this stuff every year, so it's kind of hard to, to put a lot of to put a lot of faith in it. But you, it seems like there's, there's this 
there's an extra, I don't know, something in the team that makes them a little bit hungrier this year. I, I don't know what that would be. Um, to use well, a, you know what I'm willing to, use, to believe? They use a redneck phrase, a little extra hitch in their giddy-up. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know necessarily what it would be, but I think maybe – it's uh you know maybe it's in Dominican Sue's presence that you know they just see his greatness on the practice field. Maybe it's Ryan Tannehill throwing all those touchdowns in practice or saying, "Hey, this guy's finally getting it." Maybe there's something clicking somewhere. Maybe that Jarvis Landry, you know, spirit has rubbed off on somebody, and they're finally like, "We we know how to do it." I mean, they they won games, but there's a difference between winning games. And you know, and then knowing how to win a game, and that's that's where the Dolphins are different than the Patriots. The Patriots just know how to win. The Dolphins haven't got there yet, and I think there's, I think maybe that switch might be going on. It's like we know how to win now, and you know, we'll just wait and see. You know what I think you skipped over, Duke? There's something. What's that? I I think you skipped something over in your little list there. What's that? The potential of addition by subtraction. The cancer is gone. The angry, the hatred, and all that nasty stuff that's been around even since uh, Chad Henney and Brandon Marshall, all that is gone now. They brought in players that want to work together, and I think that's going to have a big the big part of it. Yeah, and I think, you know, you can – part of that, and this is not going to be a very popular opinion, but I think you could attribute some of that to Joe Philbin, you know, um, even when you even when you listen to uh, Miko's silly little poll that she did last year, where players were all behind Philbin, and you know no, they weren't behind Panhill or whatever that mess was, I think finally you've got he's got people, the people there in place, and I think maybe they're starting to buy into this a little bit, um, you know, and and again, you know we talk about you know everybody always uses the, the, the phrase queasy Joe and uses some of the stuff he says, but you know it's. This this team was a play or two away from a ten and six season last year. I mean, I can name a couple of games, a couple of plays in each game where uh the tide could have turned. And you know, it's you know, and it, and that's not Joe Philbin's fault. I mean, he's not the one that misses a tackle or Well not or, always. You know, I mean it's not I mean, yeah, I mean he's gotta make some calls. I mean, I I, I would you know, I would be very disappointed you know, I was disappointed with the Buffalo game when, you know, the, the he took the ball out of Tannehill, Tannehill's hands in the last two minutes. Uh, Tannehill's got a, uh, if you look at his game splits, he's got a pretty good passer rating for um, for that, that particular uh, situation. Um, and the same thing in the Green Bay game. He took the ball out of his hands. Um, you know, that, that's where the whole queasy thing came from. Um, but... You know, I think maybe they're just they're finally saying, you know what, we we know how to win. We we've got the tools in place to do it. We know what we're going to do, and now it's time to go out and actually do it. And you know, every team says that, but I think now the Dolphins kind of have this: we we know how, and we're going to now. And I think that's that's what the change. I think last year they knew they they wanted to and they kind of had a plan, but now I think they know how to execute it and are going to execute it. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing the offense this season. What I'm reading, they're going to be attacking kind of the more of the intermediate middle of the field, and they have the players to do that now. I mean, when they traded Marshall, 
they pretty much they pretty much did away with that section of the field. I mean, there's no receiver. There was no receiver on the team in the last uh, three seasons that could work. You know, that 11 to 19 yard middle of the field. I mean, Hartline's not going to do it. Wallace isn't going to do it. I mean, Gibson probably Matthews could have. Might have been able to do it. I, I think Matthews is probably the, the best bet because he's physical. But now you've got, I mean, you can add him to the mix. Now you've got Jordan Cameron, which, you know, I love Charles Clay too, but he wasn't really that scene threat. He wasn't that guy that was going to work that section of the field. Cameron can now. You've got Devontae Parker, who I'm sure is going to work in that area. And, you know, they'll probably expand Jarvis Landry out and let him work in that area. Even though he's not a big target per se, he's, you know, he's got, you know, vacuum hands, so, and he's tough. So they've got those players now that they can kind of move to all areas of the field. And when you start, and they said this, I've got the, the only game I have on DVR is the Vikings game. So I watch it all the time. And one of the things that uh, I think it was uh, Moose said on there was, he said, not every play, not all big plays have to be deep passes. You know, sometimes throw these intermediate passes, these 15-yard passes that turn into 30 yards. And this happened right after a big play to Charles Clay. So I'm thinking, you know, and from what they were saying from yesterday's minicamp, Tannehill was throwing these 20-yard passes, which, you know, they consider that a deep pass, but it's not what fans consider, you know, the, you know, the long deep pass. It was just these kind of intermediate passes, and he was connecting on them. And I think they said one was like Jordan got by all the linebackers and they couldn't cover him. One they said that was a kind of like a 20-yard kind of play to Greg Jennings, who broke free and would have scored like a 75-yard touchdown. I mean, we have that now. Well, we didn't really have that before. We didn't have those players that could work that middle. Everything was outside or short middle. And I think, in my opinion, that makes it easier to defend because you can kind of use the sideline as your, you know, that middle section you have to be able to make vulnerable, and now they can. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And and it would not surprise me for Tannehill to put up, you know, uh, anywhere from – 35 to 40 touchdowns. I'm not predicting he will. I'm just saying it would not surprise me for him to put up those kind of numbers because he's going to have players that are going to make those kind of plays in areas, and it's going to open up other things. And when you can, can kind I, of – Go ahead. Go ahead. I no, I'm going to ask you. Whenever you kind of take away that – Whenever you kind of take away that um, – whenever, whenever you have to worry about that, then that opens up the outside routes – a little bit more for guys like Kenny Stills. And when you can bring those linebackers back, when you can when you drop them into coverage a little bit and shut down the blitzes and the five-man rushes, if your offensive line holds up enough, well, now you've got a deep ball threat in Kenny Stills that knows how to track a ball well and makes a play on the ball at the catch point. You know, don't be surprised if... What what I really want to see more than anything, and it's just a, a dream, would be when we go into Washington, first of all, I want, I want them to win the toss and defer like they normally do because I want to see the defense go on the field. Uh, they're, they're pretty – our boy Brandon Scherf at right tackle from what I'm reading. So he, he's going to get Cam Wake uh, right off the bat. I want to see them go three and out. I want to see them pump the ball to, to whoever's back there. And Tannehill at about, say, the 
his own 35-yard line, play action, just launch one to Kenny Stills and score like that on the first play. I mean, I, I don't know how my, Miami's media would react to that. Uh, I know exactly how Twitter would react, but I just don't know how people would, would, would think about that. It would be like, what is this? Ha- what is this happening here? What team is this? What quarterback is this? So I, I would just love to see that kind of stuff. Now, it's probably not going to happen, but, you know, I can dream. Can I, can I ask you guys something? Because I honestly don't know this. Um, one thing concerned me about the reports coming out of minicamp, and it seemed to be a recurring theme, not just uh, the, the Omar show here. This was like everybody was saying this. Um, did you guys watch any of Cameron's games in Cleveland? Because I'm hearing things that concern me about, should I be concerned about the fact that he seems to be dropping more passes than he's catching? Is this like no I read about a couple of drops, but I don't know that that's necessarily a big issue. I never uh, I mean, thought I've not heard about had, it previously. Had bad hands or anything. I mean, I've watched uh, a pretty decent amount of uh, of Browns games, not by choice, but sometimes they're just on up here. Like they'll be they'll be on CBS for the the AFC game. So, I mean, I I don't know. That's something we'll we'll watch as it develops, but. I, I've never watched that guy play and thought, yeah, there's something, there's something up with that guy's hand, or he's got hands of stone, or hey, is that David Boston? Like one of those. So, I mean, I don't know. Actually, I, even though you brought that up, we're out of time for tonight. Sorry to say, uh, this has definitely been one of the more interesting shows I think we've ever had. So, I enjoyed the uh, the, the near chaos. So. Um, before I go, though, anything you guys want to briefly mention before we, we hit the road? Well, as a, a, a follow-up point to uh, the, the Jordan Cameron, he, they did mention he had a couple of drops, uh, but he also scored four touchdowns yesterday. So um, I will take a couple of drops. I'll take four touchdowns <laughs> along with a couple of drops any day of the week. So. Yep, and I'll and I'll make my final comment by adding on to that. Cameron seems to be Tannehill's favorite red zone target all of a sudden. We better pray and pray and pray that Cameron does not face a similar fate to one Dustin Keller. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. I was just about to forget it. Just about to begin forgetting about it. I, I can't forget. The last time we brought in a star tight end, that happened. And uh, you know who you know who we play? Uh, I think uh, week one. No, no, not week one. Uh, week three of the preseason, I believe, Tampa Bay. And uh, guess who plays for Tampa Bay now? DJ <laughs> Swearinger. Yep. Naturally. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't know how this would work, but I know if I were uh, an offensive coach for the Dolphins, uh, you know, what do you need to ring his bell a couple of times? Just, just let him know we remember. And uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of, I, I would be that kind of player because you know, football's a physical game, and I know they, they're taking a lot of that stuff out. But look, you know, the, the crackback block is illegal now. If that guy's coming around and you've got a chance to lay that on him, and of course, you know, somebody like Juwan James, somebody's not going to remember that. But I'm like. This is what this guy did before. If he comes around and you get a chance, drill him in the dirt. I'll take a fifteen yard penalty in preseason, who cares? If you get a penalty if you get a fine, the team will pay it. Just make sure 
he re- make sure he knows we remember that. <laughs> Duke wants to set up his own bounty gate. One more question. Duke, where are <laughs> okay. the Panthers uh, located, North or South Carolina? Uh, the Panthers, like the team, you talking about a team or training camp? The, the team, well, they're going to be in Carolina, aren't they? The the team itself plays in Charlotte. Charlotte is North Carolina. Uh, the training camps at Wofford College in Greenville, South Carolina. So uh, I can count on you to give me live tweets of the practice, right? It depends. Those are early morning, and I've already I'm already I'll go ahead and announce now. I am planning to go to the game, and I have pretty good seats, um, and I'm going to be live tweeting the game, which is a plug for more followers. But um, I am going to try to. Live tweet the game a little bit and get some some uh, viewpoints because I have a I think I'll be in the end zone seats kind of where I was the last time they played there, um, and I'm hoping I can run into a couple of the players because I think we're over toward the Dolphins tunnel, so I'm looking, kind of looking forward to that. So if I can if I can swing my work schedule to where I can be down there in Greenville, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll try to do that. I was hoping there would be evening practices so that uh, I could work and then leave and uh, take, take half the day off, but they are, I think, like 8.30 to 11 practices, so I would have to uh, I'd have to get up way early for that, and I doubt I would be able to come back to work, so it just depends. Uh, I have to check check with uh, with my office to see if I can get a schedule, but if, if so, then uh, I, I plan to do that. That was the longest answer to a yes or no question I've ever heard, bro. Well, you asked if they were in North or South Carolina, and it's it's weird because a lot of some of Charlotte is actually in South Carolina, the, the obviously the southern part of it. But uh, most of everything that is the Charlotte related sports lives is all in in the North Carolina uh, part of Charlotte. But the training camps actually uh, in, in Greenville, which is um, terribly far away from Charlotte, but not really what you'd call like. It's not like the Dolphins facility is right there in the same town. Good stuff. Okay. Well, fingers crossed, That's I guess, because I won't be getting updates from the media, I don't think. Uh, me, because. Uh, so, all right, guys. That's it for tonight. Thank you for joining us. It's been quite a while, and uh, I think we're back to a, a point where we can do this every Wednesday or Thursday night. I haven't determined a a permanent night for this show. But for now, we'll keep it on Thursdays. So uh, for Duke and special guest, Lewis, uh, thanks, guys, for joining me. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And we'll uh, see you again next Thursday. Good night. Good night. Good night. Hey, everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.